0: Good evening. You're listening to QTLY-FM, which is the patron-exclusive feed for Quietly Yours, where our supporters get to hear bonuses, including exclusive stories and behind-the-scenes content. You're listening to the free version of the feed, where we'll post occasional highlights, and to hear the full version, you can sign up to support Quietly Yours at Patreon.com slash Quietly Yours. But, for now, enjoy this bonus story which we call the ghost signal. It's the strangest thing. When you move into a new house, it feels like a totally blank slate. You almost take that fact for granted. But a lot of the time, it's not. A lot of the time, you're stepping into someone else's footprint. How many times have you stood in the exact same place as the previous owner of your house when you are cooking? Do you sleep where they slept? It's morbid, in a way. And maybe that's why we don't like to think of it. In my case, it had been a full month after we moved in, just as we were finishing up the last bits of the move, that my wife suggested we move some of the remaining junk to the attic. The attic, of course, we have an attic. I knew that, of course, on paper. But when she said it, it it struck me like a hammer that I was... the owner of an attic now, and yet I'd never seen it. It just got bumped off the to-do list, I suppose, during viewings and negotiations. There were too many other things going on. No one had time to stop and start asking questions about the attic. I wasn't expecting anything as I climbed up there for the first time. No one's going to leave anything valuable behind. I was just hoping it would be empty, that the previous owner had cleared out their junk instead of leaving it to me. But I slid the door aside, took another step up the ladder, and poked my head into the dark, dusty room. I shunned my flashlight into the darkness, and my face lit up with a grin. There was junk, of course, a bunch of empty old boxes, some Christmas decorations, garbage to dispose of, but I didn't care. My gaze was fixed on a small grey cube that sat on an overturned cardboard box that dipped in the middle from the weight. On the back and side were grills in the black plastic, and on the front was the curved grey of a CRT screen, heavily coated in dust. It didn't have the shine that I'm sure it once had. But I was thrilled nonetheless as I stared, thinking to myself, I haven't seen one of these in years. I had a small, cramped office in that house. I knew the television would be junk to anyone but me, so I dragged it into the office space, where it would be out of the way. I wasn't exactly sure what my plan was. We didn't have a VCR or anything. We didn't even have a DVD player anymore. I did wonder if I could get the PlayStation hooked up to it, get some kind of picture. Well, that's if the TV even worked at all. I knew that I'd probably end up throwing it out in the end, but I still wanted to see if I could get it working first, just out of some sense of nostalgia. So I got it set up in my office space, plugged it in, and turned it on. The sudden, annoying, high-pitched screech was unmistakable, and then... Snow. Horrible, fuzzy grey snow. Not the most exciting thing, sure, but it meant that it actually worked, and I might be able to get something hooked up to it. So I searched the house, but I had nothing suitable. So I had to wait a few days until I was next in town, and then I picked up a cheap DVD player. I headed into the office that night to see if I could get it working. The office was, uh, still a mess. Papers and books everywhere, and The tiny sofa that I moved into the corner was hidden beneath junk, so I dragged the TV set down onto the floor, then dug out an old DVD out of one of the boxes of junk that surrounded me. It occurred to me at this point the irony of a box of old DVDs in a house with no DVD player. Strange, the way we mindlessly hoard. I got everything hooked up, turned on the TV, and found myself looking at… something. a shape. A vaguely human one, moving around on the screen. Too much interference to really make out any details, which didn't really make any sense. Not for a DVD. And then I realised that I hadn't even turned on the DVD player. The TV was picking something up over the air. Well, that was odd. Analog TV signals were shut down a long time ago now, 2009, around this area and this TV set was old. Early 90s, maybe? Way too old to be picking up a digital signal. And besides, the interference was definitely analogue. So then, where was this signal coming from? A pirate station, maybe? I started jiggling the dials, trying to improve the image, but it was to little avail. The signal must be too weak, I figured. Where could they even be broadcasting from, I wondered. A mystery for another day. The TV's built-in antenna was this paltry fold-out thing, probably no good at picking anything up. A roof-mounted aerial would do the job, but that would be a little bit too much effort. So I picked up a portable antenna and came back to the TV set a week later to see if I could boost the signal and get a better image. That's if the signal was still being broadcast, anyway. I turned on the TV and There the image was. Well, not the same image, but an image nonetheless. I hooked up the external antenna, moved it over to the window, and I must have spent half an hour contorting into all sorts of strange shapes, trying to get better reception. In the end, I had to hang the thing from the curtain rail. But it worked, sort of. The image was black and white, although the TV was a color one, and, Judging by the outfits, the clip was from an old movie or an old TV show. Why would someone be broadcasting this? My curiosity was piqued, but there was little I could do to get answers. Not yet, anyway. When I came back to the TV a few days later, there was another black and white broadcast being picked up. I tried a bit of googling, see if I could find any information about nearby broadcasts, but... nothing. Nothing. There wasn't much else I could do, but for some reason I I just couldn't let it go. I managed to pick up an old VCR from a thrift store and I started recording the broadcasts. It was around this point that I started to wonder if I was becoming a little bit obsessive. But I wanted to know more, wouldn't you? I spent about a week then recollecting recordings setting off the recorder whenever I had a moment, and leaving it until the tape ran out. At the end of the week, I sat down to look through the tapes. But it didn't take long. It became pretty clear as I fast-forwarded through the first tape that the broadcast was on a loop, repeating every 90 minutes or so. It was a movie. There was no sound. Or at least, what sound there was was far too distorted to be able to make out anything but the occasional word, That made it pretty hard to understand what was going on at any given moment. A few scenes, though, came through fairly clearly. In the first, a blonde woman retrieves a pair of gloves from a drawer. But the look on her face is one of complete shock. A discovery of an affair, maybe? In another scene, the same woman is laughing with a friend. That was it. I tried to find any information I could online, but... Well, it was no use. That's not exactly a lot to go on, is it? I tried random years with vague descriptors of scenes, of actors, nothing. But then I thought, the interference. The static and distortion all over the image. Well, that was part of the broadcast, wasn't it? It it wasn't part of the movie. And the interference, therefore, wouldn't be the same every time. It would be unique to each individual broadcast, to each loop. So I locked myself away one night, and I started scrubbing through the tapes, speeding through this one movie over and over again. I was up until the early hours, and even that wasn't enough, it ended up being a several day job. But by the end of it, I had a list of a dozen or so scenes that I could make out. More or less, anyway. I still couldn't piece together much of a plot, but the tone was becoming quite clear. It was a thriller, or maybe a horror. Something dark and tense, but between that, a lucky guess at the time period and some keywords from the scenes I was able to decipher I found it Suspicion that's the Not exactly original title of the film. I couldn't find a full synopsis anywhere, but it seemed to be the right one judging by the film poster Of why someone would be playing this on a loop. I don't know Maybe they thought it would be funny Seems more like a waste of time to me They've probably forgotten it's even still broadcasting. That should have been it, really. I didn't need to know any more than that. And yet, I found myself scouring the internet for a copy of the film. I don't even know why, and for a while, it seemed like a lost cause. The thing is basically out of print. It doesn't look like it's been released at all in the past 30 years. It sounds like there was a VHS release way back when, but I haven't been able to find a copy of it for sale. When I finally found a copy available, I bought it instantly. But the film was on, it was on Laserdisc, so it was back to eBay to try and find a working Laserdisc player, trying to convince myself for all the while that what I was doing was completely reasonable. It wasn't. The Laserdisc and the player arrived a couple of days apart. I got everything set up, Found a quiet night to myself and finally got to watch Suspicion in its entirety. The movie starts in a neighborhood that has recently suffered a series of connected murders, leaving its residents on edge. The lead character is a woman starting an office job, but it causes conflict with her husband. The killer's M.O. seems to be that he murders working women, The husband thinks that the women of the neighbourhood should just stay home and stick to the housewife thing, and then everyone will be safe. I guess there were some social anxieties going on in the 60s. But despite her husband's arguments, the lead goes ahead and takes the job. She enjoys it, and she makes a new friend at the office. The movie starts getting properly going when the friend returns from a lunch break with some new clothes. What are you going to do with your lunch break, I suppose, other than a bit of shopping? Yeah, it's... It's pretty stupid, it's- the film is very much of its time. But I recognised the character's new gloves. I knew they would come up later. And the scene ends with the lead character borrowing her friend's hat, because she lost hers. I guess you couldn't leave the office without a hat back then, I dunno. After falling behind on her workload, the lead then heads home late, after the sun has set. And it's pretty obvious what's about to happen. A mysterious, shadowy man creeps up behind the lead and attacks. She seems like a goner, but for reasons we don't fully understand yet, the killer ultimately flees, leaving the character alive. But her relief doesn't last long, as she finds out after the weekend that her friend from work has gone missing, presumably a victim of the killer. There's a lot of paranoia, and then we come to the scene with the gloves. The lead discovers them, hidden in a drawer in her house, recognizes them as her friends and realizes that her husband is the killer and he's the one who's been stalking the neighborhood. Unwisely, she confronts him. He panics, they struggle, and she's killed. The husband buries her in the basement, which conveniently is undergoing renovation and due to be cemented over any day now. The film goes a bit psycho from here on out, With the supporting cast trying to find out what happened to their friend. Her boss, in particular, grows suspicious of the husband. In the climax of the film, he tries to get to the bottom of the mystery. He sneaks into the house while his wife knocks on the door and creates a diversion, and he searches the house, eventually finding a hidden bundle of... tools? I guess that the husband used in his murders? Little does he know that downstairs, the killer has invited his wife inside and is about to make her his next victim. A scream alerts him, he rushes downstairs. The three of them are involved in a struggle before the killer is hit and killed. Later, the body is recovered from the basement and the film ends on that gloomy, bittersweet note. I tried to forget about the film from that point on. But as the days passed, Well, it was still there. At the back of my mind. This annoying little thought that wouldn't go away. There were still questions. Who was broadcasting this film? Why this film in particular? How did they even get a hold of a copy? Was it taped off a TV broadcast? Is that why the picture and the sound are so messed up? I wondered. Warped by repeated copying. I didn't know if I'd ever find answers to... Any of this. But now that I knew the title of the film, its year, its cast and crew, I knew more information than I'd ever had, and maybe that'd help me find something about why it's being broadcast here specifically. So I returned to Google in the hope of finding... anything. But there was nothing, at least. Not until I stumbled across an article that mentioned suspicion. The article wasn't about the film itself, but rather the star. Marigold Harper, a nickname she embraced as a stage name, so named thanks to her habit of wearing the brightest of yellows across her entire wardrobe. She played the female lead in Suspicion, the wife who discovers her husband's crimes and ultimately loses her life because of it, the one who is buried, but ultimately discovered, and whose murder brings about the antagonist's downfall. But, as I said, the article wasn't about Suspicion, it wasn't even about Marigold Harper's life, but instead about the sad way that it ended. Or is presumed to have ended, anyway. Marigold was by all accounts headed for success in the film industry, but it came to an end when she disappeared off the face of the earth following her third movie. To be honest, I think her budding success is overstated. She didn't do many movies before she vanished, and those that she did complete didn't seem to have been particularly successful, or to have stuck around in the public consciousness. Sadly, I think Marigold's disappearance is the reason she's remembered. There's certainly more information about that on the internet than there is about any of her films. The basic gist is that Marigold Harper failed to show up to work one day, and when the studio chased it up, her husband confessed that he hadn't seen her in two days, Police became involved and the husband were questioned, but according to him, the marriage was on its last legs anyway as Marigold fell deeper and deeper into a wild alcohol-filled lifestyle, often not returning home until the early hours of the morning. And when Marigold didn't return at all one night, the husband said he didn't think much of it, that he thought she'd that she'd perhaps had enough and decided at last to leave the shackles of her normal life behind and pursue whatever it was that she was out chasing every night. This seemed to be enough for the police. Or at least, they had no evidence that there was anything else going on or that there was anything amiss with the husband. And they had no other leads. They would never get any. The case died there, and Marigold's disappearance would remain unsolved. All of this, did solve one question though, Marigold lived and disappeared and, in all likelihood, died right here, in this neighbourhood. So that's it, that's the answer. This broadcast is some bizarre tribute to Marigold Harper, the local girl who vanished and never got justice. I would guess that someone was using the frequency to broadcast something more substantial at some point. Maybe back then it was a pirate station or something. But for whatever reason, I guess they stopped and decided that their final act would be to leave suspicion playing on a loop as some kind of homage or tribute to Marigold. That made sense. More or less. It made more sense than I ever expected to actually get out of this mystery. That should have been satisfying. It should have been enough, and I should have been able to rest easy. But that night was an endless stream of nightmares, and I found myself consumed by the mystery of exactly what happened to Marigold Harper. I was firmly down the rabbit hole. At this point, obsessive would have been quite an understatement. I had tapes upon tapes, several home video appliances, and a giant stack of papers on my desk, printouts of every article, every book, every scrap of paper even tangentially related to Marigold Gold Harper and her disappearance. That was the point that my wife called me out, told me that I was losing it, that I was unraveling. She was right. I'd barely slept for days. And when I did sleep, I dreamed of the movie. She was right. But I was exhausted, and I snapped at her, and I retreated to the office. I turned on the TV. It was still playing the movie. The scene where Marigold's character finds the gloves. And then I collapsed onto the small office couch, and I slipped into unconsciousness. And then... The rest of the night is all a bit of a blur. I remember it kind of how you might remember a dream. I rose from the couch in a daze. It was like I was sleepwalking. I grabbed a large hammer from the utility cupboard. I headed down to the basement and I started hacking at the concrete as though lost in some furious trance, and I hit, and I hit, breaking and smashing my sore and bleeding hands, pulling away chunks of concrete until they grasped at fabric, bright yellow fabric encrusted and embedded deep in the cement. When it was all over, I crashed and slept for 15 hours. Waking up refreshed for the first time in, I don't know how long. The autopsy showed a major skull fracture. Fatal. If it didn't cause her death, it certainly would have in time. Despite these answers, though, no justice will ever be served, Marigold's husband left the country for Australia just six months after she disappeared. Now we know why, of course. He lived out the rest of his life there, dying a free man in 1986. I guess it doesn't matter, not really. At least we know the truth now. And the story got a lot of press coverage. Which brought significant attention to Maricold Harper's underappreciated career. Suspicion is now on BBC iPlayer, getting more viewers than it's had in nearly 80 years. I even hear there's a Blu ray release in the works. I think I'll stick to the Laserdisc. As for the TVs, well, the signal's been dead since that night. Nothing but snow on the screens now. And thank god, there is nothing I would rather see on that screen than 525 lines or dead air.